text for the sermon today is from the passage read earlier by the Connollys from Luke 2, verses 10 through 14, especially verses 13 and 14. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom His favor rests. So far, the reading of God's Word. What happened to the angels? What happened to the shepherds? Let me tell you what God did that night. God pulled the curtain of heaven apart and exposed the angels to the shepherds, and exposed the shepherds to the angels, and opened up heaven so that for a while, for a time, heaven intruded into earth. What a moment. The Bible tells us that there is a a realm that our mortal eyes cannot see. And the Bible calls it heaven. Do you believe there is a heaven? Not just in the future. Not just a place somewhere down the road where maybe you'll go. Do you believe that there's a heaven right now? When we use the word heaven, even in the Bible, sometimes it's just referring to the stars and the moon and the, and the, and the uh, galaxies out there. Sometimes that's the way the Bible uses the word heaven. But other times, most of the time, like it's used in Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. And that is not something that you can see with a telescope. Now, Last night, the movie It's a Wonderful Life was on, and if you know, at the beginning of that uh, amazing film, the angels are talking together at the beginning of the movie, and they didn't have many special effects in 1946 when that movie was made. And how did they show the angels talking? They took the stars in the various galaxies, and they would make them a little bright as they did a voiceover for them. And it gave the impression that heaven is physical on this side of the curtain. And I know it's the best they could do in Hollywood in 1946. But oh no, my friends. Heaven is not just revealed by a little blinking star here or there. It says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, no eye has seen and no ear has heard 
And no mind has ever fully conceived the glorious things that God has prepared. And it is, heaven is still beyond us. So, how are we supposed to think about heaven that intruded onto earth? Well, fortunately, God helps us. And in fact, before the coming of Christ, the people of God in Israel were, giving, were given little miniature models of heaven. Did you know that? Little miniature models, the, the, the tabernacle and the temple are actually explained as miniature little models of heaven itself. How could that be? And then Israel herself was taken into a land flowing with milk and honey, which was to suggest the paradise of their and our eternal destination. And the New Testament explains that the land flowing with milk and honey actually should be a picture for us of the heaven we anticipate after we die, or if we go there, or as it is even now. So we learn from these mini models. We learn from the land flowing with milk and honey. But I think we learn the most about the heaven of now from these episodes like I just read from in Scripture where the eyes of earthlings are opened supernaturally and the curtain is pulled back and for a moment heaven intrudes. What passages of the Bible do you think of? when that happened. Oh, read your Bibles. Learn of these stories. Isaiah chapter 6, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and His glory filled the temple, and the seraphim flew around Him day and night. They never stopped singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth are filled with His glory. Or maybe you're thinking of Ezekiel chapter 1. Or Ezekiel says, heaven opened and I saw the Lord, and this is really interesting, on his chariot throne. Now, isn't that interesting? There is God on a chariot that is also right there in his palace, the throne of his palace. So dynamic, full of energy, and there's the wheel within a wheel. And he says down in verse 28, and the glory of the Lord was all around it. Or maybe somebody's thinking of Revelation chapter 4, where the Apostle John says, and a door opened to heaven. Okay, it's not the curtain being pulled back. Now it's just a door opened to heaven. And he's carried up, and he beholds the Lord on his throne, surrounded by emerald glory, dazzling, brilliant, with bolts of lightning and peals of thunder across a crystal sea like glass. But in every instant, there is one thing that is common, and the same with our shepherds on this night. What is it? What is the constant? It is that heaven is occupied by the majesty of God on high, and his glory presence, what my favorite writer Meredith Klein calls the glory presence of God, which intrudes into people's lives and into this earth. Every one of these moments is dominated utterly by the glorious presence of the King of Kings enthroned on high. 
And there is, apparently, this spirit atmosphere, the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. Friends, one day when you die and you are carried home to heaven, you will begin to breathe the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit, and that is the secret of immortality. That's why you will live forever. You will be feeding on the heavenly banquet of heaven, but you will be breathing the spirit atmosphere of heaven, and you will live forever in God. This is amazing, isn't it? Do you believe that there is a heaven? If you do, then it governs the way you view your world and the way you think about this universe. Do you believe in heaven? A better the philosophers would say, is heaven in your cosmology? Now there's a 50 cent word. It's actually a good word. Cosmos means worldology, means study of or view of. What is your cosmology? Maybe you're a disciple of Carl Sagan. Remember Carl Sagan? He was on PBS. Nova, he's an astronomer from Cornell and very, very popular. And he taught that all that the universe is, is dust. Dust and atoms bumping into each other, moved by energy. And dust is all there was and is and ever will be. That's it. And if that's how you view the universe, then you have what is called a materialistic cosmology. The universe is just dust with energy moving it around. Or do you have a biblical cosmology that says, oh, there is heaven, and heaven exists and coexists with the universe in which we live? Which is it for you? Do you see it? That night, none of the shepherds were disciples of Carl Sagan anymore. They got a new cosmology that night. They understood. Do you understand? There is a highest heaven. And you don't even need angels to believe it. The Bible tells us that every time you see the sunrise, that every time you feel the power of the ocean crash against the shore, every blue sky that you see, every baby's cry, every infant that is born reveals to you the presence of God, the character of God in His wisdom and in His glory, and His announcement is to you, I am here. The heavens declare the glory of God, you see, just like the angels did. You don't even have to have the angels to know that that is true. And then, of course, there's all these stories of the Bible. But friends, the greatest proof for heaven and the intrusion of heaven is what? Is the incarnation, the coming of Jesus Christ into this world. What the shepherds celebrated that night, that was the best one ever given. The proof that God exists and He came to seek and save the lost. What do you think right now? When earthlings' eyes are opened to see the supernatural reality of heaven, you discover that God is not way out 
you know, a billion light years away, that the highest heavens are so far away from us. You know what you discover? These passages that I read, they say that, no, he's not so far away. It is as though the portal is right here. Jacob's ladder. Jacob is out in the desert and suddenly heaven is opened. The ladder comes down and he sees angels ascending and descending, right? It's right there. Please understand, God is right here. If the veil were open just a little bit, it's not far. He's near. Remember Gehazi in the Old Testament? Gehazi, he's really scared. He's really anxious. He says, I'm so full of anxiety about what's going to happen. And God opens his eyes and lets him see the chariots of fire that are around him, close to him right now. He's close. Heaven is close. Christian, do you believe this today? Ultimately, you will see it with your new physical eyes. Until then, yes, it's by faith. You see it by faith. Do you hear it? Do you see? What, what is heaven doing right now, according to the angels, according to the seraphim of Isaiah 6? What is it? Heaven is worshiping, worshiping the glorious almighty God. And so, once again, the verse for today, glory to God in the highest. That's heaven. Now pay attention here. God does not need our worship. He's not insecure, hoping that we will like him. Okay? God cannot be any more worthy than he already is. Our praises don't make him even more worthy. It's not that God needs worship. It's that God deserves worship. He is worthy. And this is why the universe irresistibly, every day, says glory to God in the highest. So now I ask you, and I ask myself, what is the impulse of your heart? Is the impulse of your heart to join in? Or is the impulse of your heart to ignore him? The psalmist says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are in his sanctuary. Now I ask you this. Because every day, there is a battle for your worship. I want you to know this. Tomorrow when you wake up, there will be a battle for your allegiance. And this matters to me and to us today in one sense because there is this disturbing trend in America. While the church is growing wildly around the world in Africa and in Asia and in South America. The church is shrinking in North America, in the United States. And surveys show that, um, that between 2009, I'm sorry, between 1990 and 2009, 
the number of people who check off when they're surveyed, no religion, has doubled. It has doubled. In fact, of all the sociological categories, uh, these people, they call them the nuns. Now, that's not N-U-N-S, okay? It's the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. What is your religion? None. And the nuns have doubled in the last 20 years. And among young people between the ages of 19 and 29, it's tripled. Have you ever been tempted to become one of the nuns? Maybe you're here today. Somebody brought you. And, but you would say, no, I think I did check off on my category, nun. It's, I'm a nun. There is a war in our culture raging against worship. Now, that's nothing new. It began even before this world was created. Do you remember the story of Lucifer? Remember Lucifer? Glorious angel, but he cannot bear to worship Almighty God. He wants to replace Almighty God. And so Jesus said, I saw Satan cast, fall from heaven like lightning. Why? Because in his pride, Lucifer refused to join in the worship of God. So it's nothing new. What is the impulse? And you see, Satan now is leading this insurrection against the worship of God. Please, please pay attention to me here. I've heard people sometimes say, Satan really hates me. Well, the fact of the matter is, Satan doesn't really hate you. Who does Satan hate? Satan hates God. Satan hates God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all he wants from you is for you to exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's what Romans 1.21 says happens in wicked, sinful human hearts. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we worship the creation. You say, oh, no, but I, I, I appreciate the oceans and I appreciate the stars. Yes, but the Christian must not worship the oceans. The Christian must not worship the stars. We appreciate them. We say, thank you, God, for the oceans. Thank you, God, for the stars. But we don't worship them. That is idolatry. That is aligning yourself with Satan. Whom will you worship? The psalmist says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. If you worship money, you will become greedy at the core of your heart. If you worship material stuff, you will become a crass materialist. And Louis Giglio, he says this. He says, if you give all your praise to the God of you, you will become a disappointing little God, both to yourself and all those who trust in you. Wow. And then Satan will have succeeded. But the shepherds, and we're going to talk more about them next week and their worship and how we should worship. The shepherds join in with personal worship that is both private and public. How are you doing? How are we doing in our personal and public worship? Here I want to ask uh, a meddling question when the preacher goes from preaching to meddling. 
How is your quiet time going? How is your personal time with the Lord in the rhythms of your day and your week going? How's it going? You know, Jesus talked about going to that secret place, getting alone with God, opening his word, reading it, applying it. We call it around here soaping yourself up, applying, observing, praying through scripture into your life. How are you doing? Maybe this is a totally new concept. I thought I was only supposed to go to church on Sundays. That was enough. Oh, no, my friends. Personal, daily personal worship where you go to that secret place and you learn the secrets of the secret place to take your anxiety, your frustrations, your fears, your guilt, your beloved ones to take them to the Lord in the daily rhythms of your life. How are, we, how are we doing in our private worship where we turn on the iPod and we listen to great praise music and our heart sings along and sometimes our voices sing along for His glory. How are you doing? That's personal worship. But then there's public worship. And ever since Seth, does anybody know who Seth was? Seth was the first son born to Adam and Eve after they were kicked out of the garden. Ever since Seth was born, there was public worship. And men, it says, began to call on the name of the Lord. And Seth gathered faithful people to come celebrate the glory of God and the covenant promises of God and the mercy and grace of God from Seth through King David as he danced before the ark in Jerusalem to King Solomon who dedicated the temple in its glory to Jesus Christ. Get this. Get this about Jesus Christ. It says, Jesus Christ, who was Jesus? Son of God. Him, he knows everything. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. He's smarter than any preacher. Did Jesus need to go listen to preachers? And we are told of Jesus Christ that he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He would not miss the public worship of God. When the elders of the synagogue said, we're getting together at this time on this day, guess who was there? Wow, Jesus was there. Oh, I don't feel like going to church today. You know, the NFL pregame is, you know, it's, it's just a little too much going on, too much excitement for me. Whoa, wait a minute. Jesus, as was his custom, went to church. How are we doing? And, and you know, it's not just that we're here. You're not just here to, to watch a show. Gee, I hope the music is good. I hope I can stay awake through the sermon. No, 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 no. Let me use a football analogy. There's 22 men down there on that field, in that football, that football field. They know three things. They know what game they are playing. It's football, not baseball. Okay? They know what game they're playing. They know the rules, how it is to be played. And each person knows their part. They know what to do, you see. That's what, that's what church is supposed to be like. The, the, the quarterback, I love that moment when the quarterback shouts out these words. And I guess maybe I always 
wanted to be quarterback, you know. I, so it's, it resonates inside of me. Okay, I'm a wannabe. But he walks up to the line of scrimmage, and what does he shout? Down! Set! What happens? The rest of the team gets in place, gets ready, and then with a common sense of purpose and with unity, they execute. When Martin called us to worship this morning, he was saying, down, set. And you should be up here in your seats, ready to go. Pastor said, down, set, or, or worship leader, elder so-and-so called us, down, set. And let's be aligned, each with a common sense of purpose. Let's do this in our public worship. You know, I learned a few things about um, uh, magnets from Mike Devine. You can have two iron bars. One of them is magnetized, and the other one isn't. They weigh the same. They look the same. But one has power, and the other has no power. Why does the one have power? It is because in the iron bar that is magnetized, it has been stroked, rubbed in a certain way so that all the electrons are facing the same way. They are unified, facing the same way. There's power in that. What about us? You see, as a church family, our leaders are not infallible here. I'm certainly not. But what we are seeking to do is to be in alignment as a church, cooperating together. So our new members took that vow today. Will you submit yourself to the government of the church? Yeah, okay, I'll be a team player. You guys say down, set. I'll be ready to go. And we worship, we worship him together. When you worship, the result is peace. In this instance, peace on earth and peace to those on whom his favor rests. Are you one on whom his favor rests? I hope you are. How do you know? Well... You've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord. The Christ child has become your king, your Lord, your master. You are his disciple. You are found in him, and you are given peace with God, peace with yourself, and even peace with your enemy. Why? Because Jesus is with you. This is what worship is about. Is heaven far off? Heaven is near. Heaven is near. We're coming to communion now. And heaven is near. It's going to intrude into your life, Christian. He's going to minister to you now. I want you to listen with your heart. Let him minister to you in the secret place that you're going to open to him now. Bring your sins. Bring your fears. Bring your anxiety. Bring your hopes. Bring your children. Bring yourself to him now. Let's pray. If the elders would come forward. O oh Lord, our God, glory to you, glory to God in the highest. And we pray now, as we partake in the Lord's Supper, we pray now that you will nourish us and feed us and encourage us. We pray that you would make us worshipers. And if we are reluctant to worship you in private or in public, that you would do a renewing work 
that we would not be ashamed of you, that we would delight in you, and we would join the choir. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen.